Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. This episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media, monitoring and informing the journey to a sustainable healthcare economy. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week, who joins us today from San Paulo, Brazil. Greetings, Fred. Hello, Greg. How are you doing? I'm thoroughly enjoying my time down here in Brazil. Yeah, well, we'll get to that in just a moment. So, so today uh, we continue coverage of now global issues in the emerging population health space, including evidence-based best practices with key thought leaders, innovators, academicians, and best-in-class vendors. Our special guests are Dr. Annalisa Figuera, a tech director and president of Grupo Santa Salina and Dr. Kisla Estrella, who serves as the technical director. Dr. Seguera has a master's in economics and health, as well as an MBA in strategic management in 2013. Annalisa was cited by HSM Health Management as one of the 100 most influential persons in healthcare in Brazil. Dr. Estrella has an MS in health systems complementary by University of Exeter, England, a PhD in public health at the Institute of Social Medicine. She worked for 10 years in the Emil Group on health management, served as the NSA manager responsible for epidemiologic analysis of the health insurance industry, and also served as the Ministry of Health Consultant for Development Programs. Grupo Santa Salina started over 40 years ago with a hospital. They transitioned into a home health care provider and in the past five years began providing population health management services. Their chronic, their population health services include screenings, employee wellness, maternity care, elder care, chronic disease management, care coordination, and a hospital discharge planning program. Annalisa is an innovator in the field and has direct, recently begun working on establishing an ACO in Brazil. She's a member of the board of directors of ASAP and serves on the International Committee of the Population Health Alliance, PHA. So with that introduction, Fred, help us get to know our special guests and perhaps give us a preview of why you're in Sao Paulo. Well, thanks so much, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. Nice to see you again, Annalisa. Nice to see you. And nice. you too as well, Kilza. Likewise. It's, uh, it's really been a, a great uh, day here this morning. We actually did a program uh, that Annalisa set up on uh, ACOs here for Brazil, and I did a number of presentations this morning on some of the ACO issues in the United States and how they're working and structured, et cetera. And uh, today, what I really wanted to focus on, Annalisa, and by the way, both of my guests here are physicians, uh, one in ophthalmology and the other a geriatrician, and we are very glad to have you and your expertise here. Give us a little bit of background on Brazil, the healthcare system, how it's set up, what you see is working, and maybe some of the areas that need some help. Okay. 
I, I will try to start and I probably will focus in private sector and I will pass the word to Kilda to talk about the public sector and then we can uh, look for the both together and think which is the best strategy from Brazil to keep it sustainable because nowadays it isn't. And in fact, we have here in Brazil nowadays um, 200,000 million people and uh, 50,000 um, million people uh, are in the private sector. sector mm-hmm. Yes. And the most part of this Uh, people are financed by the employers and and 70% of them are employees. And nowadays, Brazil is living a huge political economic crisis and of course, all of this impacts directly in this sector, this private sector, because uh, the companies which uh, didn't support the, uh, the, the increasing of the costs in health systems, nowadays cannot afford with this because of the, the crisis. So it's similar to the United States in that the employers are struggling because their healthcare costs are obviously yes. going up. Yes, yes. And then here, like in the United States and Mexico, we have the same problem um, because we have um, we don't have uh, health public politicals, neither some kind of protocols to make uh, this model, which is very fragmented, mm-hmm. and to work together and with a coordinator of care and add more value to all of the, the, the system. Got it. Then this is um, just a, a briefing from the... Right. And on the public side, what are some of the issues faced there? Well, the public side, you see Brazil has 300 million people. 75% of it are under public care only. Uh, the public care is despite the fact that it's much bigger than the private sector, it affords just around 40% of the healthcare expenses. Um, the country is really big, so this is a major problem. So we have a very, the political scenes that, uh, that they established back in 1980 with uh, this universal system uh, established that the system is decentralized. So we have about 5,000 counties that roll, that run their own public health care. And then there's the state care and the federal care. Most of the money comes out of the federal care, part of the federal pocket. But uh, the, the counties, the municipalities, as we call it, uh, run their own uh, system as much so. And so they each can do their own thing, in yes, a sense? Yes. And are they very different in how they're handling health care in each yes, of the municipalities? Uh, what the Minister of Health does, they establish um, rules, for instance. They, for instance, they've, uh, one, one uh, group that I was involved with was about home care. Mm-hmm. And then you establish how home care should work. 
and then you send out these rules to the to the counties, and the county apply or not. You see, the counties decide how they're going to, uh, which programs they're going to be involved with, and uh, and they won't get the money if they uh, work together with the same rules. You see, with the same uh, rules set up by the Ministry of Health. The problem is that the system is being very much underfunded and really badly uh, ruled as far as admin is concerned. And of course, as the public system grew up on the 1998s, and it was the same time that the private sector grew as well. So there is a lot of issues around, the, they don't work together, public and private. So it sounds like in Brazil, you have the same problems we do in the United States in terms of public-private. I think your ratios are almost the same in terms yeah. of the percent of uh, private and public people covered. And you talked about the system being fragmented. So talk I think the only difference in the yeah. states is that uh, uh, in the states you have either Medicare or Medicaid. In right. Brazil, the SUS, the public health system, everyone is allowed to use everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, and SUS also the in the in the not in the big cities but in the in the interior side of the country, it also is responsible for the complex care. For example, uh, people with uh, a kidney failure that needs um, uh, hemodialysis. Yes. So the cost of it is rolled by the public system as well. So there is a lot of uh, uh, mess between public and, and private. Gotcha. See, we will end up having too much expenses because they don't run together, you see? Uh-huh. There's no synchronicity in this in this uh, policy. And sometimes very little. The same people that um, can use the private sector, if uh, this, the, this patient um, doesn't find a great, server, great service in a private one, then they just can't move to the public one and then uh, find like a get the here, service yeah, there. we have some great um, high uh, technology island here in mm-hmm. Brazil and, and this kind of islands work with some kind of uh, illness like mm-hmm. cancer and then if someone is um, inside a private uh, insurance company, but uh, doesn't find a great treatment there, then they just can move to the public one. Yeah. Then that that was saying we are don't we don't have any kind of uh, coordination, coordination between, the between the two, and so that creates issues yeah. as yeah. well. And another big problem is just to give an example of the, how underfunded it's been. Over the last 10 years, I just did a study last year about the number of hospitals, the number of beds in the country. So over the last 10 years, despite the fact of the aging population, uh, the number of hospitals and the number of beds in the, private, in the public sector has not grown at all. So unless like in the Amazon area, which is, you know, they didn't have anything, so to have one hospital Mm-hmm. will make a change, but in the rest of the countries, there's no new development at all. And I recall last year at the conference, I think it was last year, somebody from the government presenting data on this huge group moving into that aged population. So right. you're seeing that similar change as we are in the United States with this rapidly aging overall population. Yeah, and here's much worse. 
Mm-hmm. The the aging faster. Yeah, it's much faster. We are aging in a, like we are aging in 30 years. What took uh, developed countries to age in, in 300 years. Yeah. So wow. with the beginning of last century, our life expectancy was 30, was 34 years old, and at the end of the century was 68. So just in one century, we doubled yeah, the, the end of life expectancy. See. In the end of 2015 years, then probably we have um, uh, elderly people, uh, elderly population. population than Canada. I read it another day. Wow. Yeah. And we don't have any kind of uh, support to do this, to keep moving. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about Grupo Santa Celina and some of the programs that you're doing now in, in the population health space. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, 40 years ago, the founder started with the hostel. Nowadays, the hostel isn't belonging to right. the group. And 18 years ago, then they started with a home care. And then we start with the, because here in Brazil, in home care, we have nursing homes and we have another kind of facility that we only have here in Brazil that we can just pick off from the hospitals people who are using mechanical ventilation, who is very, very um, critical, and put there in their home. And then in home care, we have uh, different uh, levels of patients that we can sustain the um, infrastructure to keep them alive in their homes. And then 18 years ago, we started with this kind of uh, model. And then seven years ago, we started working with promotion and prevention programs, like uh, disease management programs and some programs have focused in elderly population. Um, and then, but when we start creating this kind of problems, you, we still thinking about how uh, we could integrate all of these parts. And then four years ago, when I just uh, start knowing this part of ACO, and I have the pleasure to meet you, Fred. Then we started studying this ACOs model, and we think like a provider who could integrate a lot of different programs and health um, service. Then we could make a kind of ACO here in Brazil and start working with this coordination program. Then Kira can yeah. talk. I think I think the. You see, in Brazil, as uh, Elisa said before, she is. Uh, we are find far behind uh, the possibility of creating integration in the private sector, because number one, we did not have this um, the process of uh, learning. You see, we we never did anything different than fee for service, and uh, but nowadays with this big crisis that you know all the, the health industry is facing I think there is much more room for for that and what we're doing at the moment is uh, well not just because I'm a geriatrician but, but also because of that we're starting up with the elderly program 
I think that's, that's the, the far we go with the elderly program, work, working with uh, a health plan and having a number of doctors in the primary care involved with it and the call center and using protocols that are evidence-based and you know, all the rest. And so what are you focusing on with this elderly program? Talk about some of the services you actually are doing for these and how many patients are you following? Uh, for the for the health program, we start up doing a uh, applying a a questionnaire that does a, a certification uh-huh. specific for the elderly. Number one, all the tools all the tools that we use in the program come from the coming from the the geriatric and gerontology side. So they're all evidence based from the aging uh, literature. Yeah. Right, so using evidence-based guidelines to build yes. your program. Yes, so but number one, we do this um, this uh, screening that it's called, actually is made up by a, a, a researcher in the United States mm-hmm. called the Bolt, I don't know if you can mm-hmm. come across him. Anyway, so we, we apply this screening, and which give us an image, which give us, and it's not an algorithm, it uses an statistics, Mm-hmm. That gives it, it splits the people into high high risk of uh, probability to uh, get hospitalized. Right. So uh, according to the results of the screening, we then give to the high risk people and to the medium high risk people uh, a face to face evaluation uh-huh. visit. This visit uses again uh, tools from the literature that evaluates, because for the elderly, what it means to be healthy is to be independent. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, because 60% will have three to four chronic diseases. This is take for granted. Given that, what makes them healthy is how independent they are, how uh, the ability to rule their own lives. So there are a number of different tools that evaluate that, and this is done at home. And according to their capacity to rule their own lives, we then stratify them again into five different groups, giving different uh, profiles. And each profile is managed in a different way, according to their needs. Mm-hmm. And then the follow-up is very much going to the primary care, making sure that uh, they're making up, you know, uh, uh, following whatever is being recommended, making sure that they have all their dots sorted, that the medication is going on well, they're doing all the tests, and they're having a healthy life. They're exercising. All the all the uh, the healthy lifestyle is taken in as well. You know, mm-hmm. so diet, exercises. Uh, so you're looking at that elderly person holistically yes. at all of their issues, both from a disease management perspective as well as a lifestyle and what some would say wellness perspective and providing services there. Yeah, the difference is uh, I wouldn't say it's a disease uh, management program mm-hmm. at all because uh, you see the issue is this population has 60% has three to four diseases. Mm-hmm. So you cannot make disease program. So taking into account that what makes them, what, what makes sense to this population is how independent they are. And then we apply tools that show me if they are independent, if they do have some form of, uh, if they depend for, if they don't go to the supermarket, 
if they don't take medication on time, who is doing this for them? Uh -huh. You see? So the basis of the program it does not take into account what disease they have, but take into account how independent or how they dependent are or they dependent are. They are. Okay. And if they have hypertension and diabetes or whatever the disease, that will come along. So you're looking at how they're living with that versus looking at the disease yes. from, that, from that lens. Yeah, and then and this is all literature based. Right, I mean, we we haven't made up that. We just what we've made up is applying what is in the literature in 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 the in the sector in the health sector. And who do you sell this program to? Who buys the program? The insurance companies. Yes, um, insurance companies buy mm -hmm. and uh, self-insurance. Employers. Uh, employers, because here in Brazil we have a lot of uh, a part of this private sector is um, made make uh, is making with this self-insurance. Twelve percent of the yeah. sector. Yeah. And they have a, a biggest issues to a big issue to solve because people are uh, getting elder older mm -hmm. uh, faster. And then they are our our target. Okay, and are you um, obviously you've got some initial outcomes data? I've heard about reductions in hospitalization rates and things like that. Can you talk yes. about some of your outcomes so far? I think that, that yeah, when we were talking this morning, uh, you said one of the quality indicators from ACO is uh, how many times you can decrease the the patient inside the ER. Right, ER visits, yes. Yeah, ER visits. And the other one is how can you decrease the re readmission, rate. readmission rate. Right. And with this kind of problems, what we yeah. are... Um, and also the length of uh, hospital Of their stay, because you're on a, a fee-for-service yeah. basis, so they get paid every yes. day they're in the hospital, right? We are learning a lot with these two indicators. Because um, what we, our perception is, when you work hard on these two points, uh, management of this population and coordinating all of these cares, then you can have a great disease decrease in these two points. Like we had a population with uh, 3,000 uh, patients, um, their age, they are. Uh, elderly than six five years old, and they have we have a decrease in thirty eight percent of readmission. Wow, thirty eight percent drop in readmission yeah. rates yeah. with your program, and you've essentially set up a very strong care coordination, patient yeah. support, education system, right? Yeah. So all all the, the care coordination, I think it's a key aspect of uh, integration. Uh, if uh, information is one aspect, I think that, you know, as, as much as important as the coordination. So the, the, it's a nurse, yeah, it's all nurse-based, and uh, that it's a lot of uh, time on training junior nurses and uh, a lot of time in uh, showing the process. So if the patient has a red flag symptom, it's not going well. What we do with this, and so, and if the patient goes to an, uh, an ER visit, or if the patient is hospitalized, or if the patient needs to see the doctor, but the doctor does not have an appointment, 
and what we do. So all this, um, the idea is to have the best care at the at the right time. Mm -hmm. So it's real what we're looking for here. So considering they're all elderly and we all have, you know, they got all the sorts of health problems mm -hmm. continuously. And so we look at uh, red flag symptoms all the time. Sure. So I know you talked about four years ago looking at ACOs and, hey, I want to bring an ACO to Brazil. Why? What made you most interested in that model? I think uh, mainly because um, the United States, I think you have a history and to achieve at this time with this goal that ACOs are getting, uh, you have to to do a, a, a route. Take a route yeah, to where you want to get to, right? To do this. And like uh, when we were talking this morning, we talked about the full captation, the HMO, the, all of the problems that were creating during these years, and now you are fo your focus now, the last uh, five years are ACOs. Then when I saw that, I, I, I felt there were um, a great sense, uh, a great, how can I say, they are very aligned all of this stuff, and uh, we are a provider. We have a, a lot of different parts from all of the services that I deliver to my clients. Like we have um, a nurse call center here. Uh, we have a software. We have protocols. We have physicians. We have medical um, primary care physicians to work with us. Uh, we have some kind of program that can um, follow the patient, tracking the patient when they are in state in some hospital. Then when I saw all of this, I said, oh, I am an ACO. If I could coordinate all of this stuff that I have here. You could set one up. Yes. So, because <laughs> you had the various pieces. Yes. So, I know this morning we've had some discussions and there were a couple of attendees who were from the big hospital systems and I think one was from the cardiology area. What are some of the pushback? I mean, what, how, how accepted is this? I know we talked some about different payment models. Is Brazil ready for these kinds of things? Where are they in that? Mm, no, I, I don't think we are ready, but I think we are preparing the market to be ready. Kiza uh, can talk something about that because now she's working with the national agents, uh, the agents that uh, regulate the private market, and they are very concerned about all this problem, and they are trying to uh, bring EIGAI, I uh, Institute for Health Improvement, to work together. I yeah, I, to right. work together. Because then they can uh, make some um, some change in the financial system. in the financial system, yeah. right? And and so as you you're really trying you're really out in front and leading this charge to kind of look at the system differently, create a better coordinated system, and ultimately change the reimbursement methodologies yeah. being used in the communities. Um, You've talked some about risk. Are any of your contracts going to be based on outcomes or risk-based? No, and we don't have one 
because the last one that we've done in, uh, eight, eight months ago, we asked for the chairman from the insurance company to make a part of our contract with risk. And do you know what's the problem? They no. don't have the data. Right. That's why they can um, do this with us because the quality of the data is so bad that they can uh, make the comparison before and after the program will be installed. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the issues raised this morning in the session mm -hmm. by the, the individual who wants to build a better cardiology management system, but said we still don't have the data. We're just starting to put together data to compare them. But you are putting together data on your own program. You are showing these great reductions in um, you know, um, readmission rates or yeah. ER visits. So we've got about a minute left um, for the show. Where do you think Brazil might be in a short period of time in the next couple of years? Do you see continued growth in this area? Yes, I think so. It's because they don't have any kind of chance to don't think about that. I think this is the way that we have to work with. I don't have any kind of other solution to create a sustainable system here in Brazil. Well, that's fantastic. Annalisa and Kilza, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be down here in Brazil. I always love coming here. And I look forward to having you back on the show again. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the last word for today's first global broadcast, I want to thank our Special guests, Drs. Anna Lisa Seguera and Kisla Estrella, for their time today, including deep insights into the Brazilian healthcare market. Do follow Grupo Santa Selena on Twitter via at G-S-S-G-S-A-N-T-A-C-E-L-I-N-A, G-S Santa Selena. And check them out on the web at www.grupo. SantaSelena.com.br. Don't forget the BR for Brazil. Until we meet again on Pop Health Week, for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Master saying bye now.